matter where you are. You are being watched. In today's world, no one is off the grid. Existing in the modern world has been forever changed. What's out there? What's out there? Most people don't want to know, but you are about to get clued in. This is Patriot Games. Patriot Games. We'll explore different intelligence, techniques, spycraft, and the latest cutting-edge technology that will blow your mind. We'll introduce you to pros who've spent careers in the intel community with incredible stories. We'll expose it all. Welcome to Patriot Games. And now your host, Greg Phillips. Hey, welcome to Patriot Games, everybody. This is Greg Phillips. I'm your host, and today we have a an old friend, uh, someone that I've known uh, and known of, and and really uh, taken guidance and direction on from for some forty plus years. Uh, Paul Manafort. Paul is uh, is really um, the guy who took some of the brunt of um, of what the government had done to weaponize against uh, the Trump administration. Um, you know, he went to jail for a while. I mean, they've done everything they could do to try to destroy this guy. Um, he's come back. Um, he's written a new book, um, called political prisoner. You got to get the book. You got to read it. And let's, uh, uh, please welcome it. Welcome Paul Manafort to the show today. Good to be with you today, Greg. I was, uh, you know, so impressed with the book, um, uh, that you that you've written, and by the way, everybody will put a link to the book um, in the um, political prisoner in the in the uh, description and in the and in the comments a couple of different times, just where everybody can get to it. It's really an amazing story that 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 you've lived, and and political prisoner is um, is right. I mean, it, it, it it's not hyperbole. You know, they they did what they did to you, and and uh, put you and and your family and your your really everything in jeopardy, uh, you know, made up lies, all this kind of thing. We're in a little bit of a dust up right now with, um, with, uh, some of the federal folks. And, and uh, I was thinking about you yesterday and, and downloaded the book in advance of this. I tell you, Paul, um, you're, you're, you, you really lived it. I mean, you're, you're a hero to many of us that, that grew up in politics back in the, back in the uh, early eighties and into the nineties. Um, you guys, you know, you and, and uh, Charlie and Roger did things that, you know, many people never, never even dreamed about. But can you give us a little bit of uh, just sort of the can you, a condensed version of what happened to you over the last few years and what they, what the government actually did to you? Yeah, it's uh, frankly, I, f- I finished the book the end of uh, last year. So I got the Biden administration's first year into the book and that really was important in the end because it, uh, the context of a lot of the dotted lines of the last six years came together both as to what really happened and what we as a country have to fear. Um, you know, the Durham investigation, which is, we've got a trial going on right now, has really connected the dots. And what we now know happened, at least I know happened, uh, as I lay out in my book, is – it started really in 2015 uh, when 
I was working in Ukraine. I'd been for 10 years and elected several governments. And we were, the motivation of which was to bring Ukraine into Europe and to isolate it from the Soviet, or then Russia. Uh, at the time, and I sort of knew it but didn't understand it, I, Hunter Biden was working in Ukraine for some very corrupt people. And I knew that, but it wasn't relevant to me other than I thought it was a little untoward because his father, as the vice president, under, uh, was the link from Ukraine to the Obama administration. What I didn't know at the time, but now know from the last year, is that the Obama White House was concerned about that, uh, that issue uh, and actually had somebody speak to the vice president who did nothing. Uh, and, uh, and so they decided uh, when it kept popping up on their radar that they needed to deflect or, or protect, protect themselves by building up a deflection if necessary. And I was that deflection. So really in 2015, uh, they, uh, the Obama White House started research on me and my work in Ukraine in order to try and deflect or expecting to find dirt on me. The problem was they couldn't find any because one of the decisions I made when I got involved in Ukraine was I would do elections and I would do help Ukraine become part of Europe, but I wasn't going to do business in Ukraine because there's too much corruption. And even if I did everything right, I could get stained by association. So I didn't do business like Hunter Biden did in Ukraine. So they found nothing in 2015, but I was on their radar. When I joined the Trump campaign, they simply shifted that focus of my Ukrainian work to to me. And because Ukraine was next to Russia as they built out their Russian narrative, I became the target for to try and prove the link. The problem is I didn't I was always opposed to what was going on in Russia my whole life uh, in Soviet Union first and then Russia. And so they couldn't find anything there either. Uh, but that didn't stop them. And we now know from Durham's investigations, that in July of 2016, worrying about the uh, the server issue, Hillary Clinton told her campaign manager, Robbie Mooks, to uh, to put out a false rumor they knew was false, that Putin wanted Trump to win and was working with Trump to help Trump win. Uh, we know that because Mooks admitted under oath in one of the trials that he, he did this and he, that it wasn't he knew wasn't true. We also know from those trials that John Brennan, in his own handwritten notes, there a couple of days later, briefed Obama that Clinton was putting out this false narrative. Um, yet two weeks later, at the end of July, uh, Peter Strzok uh, instigated Crossfire Hurricane uh, to do an investigation on Russian collusion between the Trump campaign and Putin. Now, mind you, at that moment, the White House knew, the CIA knew, the uh, FBI knew that this was all a Clinton fake narrative. But that didn't stop them from politicizing the FBI and weaponizing it to go against a political opponent. And of course, when you know, when they were then shocked that with Trump winning, they then, because they had been sloppy, needed to cover it up. So instead of trying to, you know, to be you know, sort of smooth out the edges, they doubled down. Uh, they refused to recognize his election and they promoted this this Russian hoax uh, as a reality, knowing full well that it wasn't true. And now, just this past week, with in the, the trial of Devchenko, Durham has shown that the FBI, uh, you know, in 2017, knew the Russian narrative was fake. They asked Devchenko to, to verify and offered him a million dollars using the dossier as the foundation. And use the dossier to as the as the predicate 
to appoint the the Mueller uh, special counsel and that whole operation, which had a very limited mandate, but expanded it in a secret letter from Rod Rosenstein to go after me for everything I've done in the past 25 years of my life. So right from 2015 to the, the start of the Mueller investigation, they had nothing. They knew they had nothing, but that didn't stop them from weaponizing the, the judicial system. We uh, we're in the midst of uh, of a little dust up with them right now, as I mentioned before. Um, we worked with uh, some folks in the bureau to. Um, there's been a recent arrest of a of a software person uh, that had some connections to China, and and uh, we had been deep off in this um, in this investigation. But working with the bureau. Um, we now understand that they've completely turned this thing on us and uh, are actually seeking to get this guy released. Um, and it, it, I think we've all in our little group here have had this reckoning, Paul, that, 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 that the government really is weaponized against us and the FBI really is corrupt. Now, not all of them. And we've, we've had some really great folks along the way, but man, you get it. You get up into what we call political law enforcement, and it's a disaster. And it, it's a yeah, disaster it's, for Americans. It's very dangerous. I mean, in fact, one of the charges they brought against me was saying I had hidden foreign bank accounts that I didn't uh, uh, file on my tax returns. In fact, they weren't my bank accounts. But furthermore, in 2014, where I volunteered to help the FBI in an investigation they're doing about corruption in Ukraine, right. I was not involved in the corruption at all, but I knew the way the system worked. And, and so I sat down with them for a couple of hours. I gave them every bank account that they then said I kept secret. Uh, and uh, and they used us to, to charge me with five counts uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, not filing my uh, the proper information on my return. So you're right. I mean, even when you're trying to help the FBI, they find ways if, if, if you're in the crosshairs uh, to turn it against you. Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really frightening. Um, Paula, uh, I don't think a lot of Americans really fully understand the depth of your history as uh, in in American politics and and uh, sort of in the in the body 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 politic in general. But but can you just give everybody a little bit of a thumbnail of of your history going back into the seventies and and sort of how you got where you are and uh, pick up a little bit on maybe some of my friends Charlie Black and and uh, Roger Stone and sort of how y'all all came together and then what happened with it. Sure, uh, actually. I went to school at Georgetown uh, and I went to Washington because I wanted to be involved in politics. And while there, I uh, got involved in college and Republicans, met Roger Stone uh, over the course of five or six years. Roger, Charlie Black and I got very active in, in Young Republicans, which was an important organization at that time within the party and uh, ended up running the Young Republicans and put together a structure that was going to be the foundation for the Reagan presidential campaign in 1980. Uh, and before that, right before that, I had worked in the Ford White House uh, uh, and uh, had been involved at senior level in running that camp, that campaign's general election. But in 1980, when we elected Reagan, Blackstone and I, and we thought that the grassroots, which now is normal, but wasn't at that time, would be a good tool to use in, in government affairs. And we brought our strategic campaign skills from media and polling and as grassroots into the practice and uh, and built a new model that is now the model actually still has been after even after 40 years. Um, uh, from that, I began to do a lot of work internationally uh, as well as electing Republicans in the United States. And my international work was focusing on countries 
that were consistent with Reagan policies, foreign policy at the time, uh, and you know, working with the, the Reagan White House, I got involved in helping to deal with the uh, the Ang- Angola situation where uh, freedom fighters were fighting against the Cuban-controlled. Uh, uh, Angolan government, and we've dealt in a number of places where we're under uh, you know, trying to elect people who were un, uh, opposed to the Soviet Union at the time, uh, and especially in Africa and uh, in, in Central America. Central America, we were very active in doing that. So we built up a very strong anti-Soviet Union democracy building practice, which was sort of ironic when they then came after me as the link to Russia. That anybody had ever checked my career out, including the most recent work in Ukraine, with that Russia was 100% against, uh, they, there was no way they could have made me the link to Russia. But they didn't care about the facts. They cared only about uh, a narrative that they created, and if they could smooth it out through their sort of media uh, and social media in particular uh, tech tactics that they had professionalized, uh, that's all they cared about. And so even though I'd spent a career building Electing Republicans, worked in every presidential campaign, really up until 2012, did not work on the Romney campaign, uh, wasn't comfortable with him, uh, and that uh, that they still came after me for being this weak link into the Soviet slash Russian world. What do you think is, um, what do you think is the, the end game here with, with all of this uh, in this cycle, Paul? I mean, you know, the, the Biden family really does have this feel of being a crime family. There's no strategic thinking. Uh, they're, they're, the, 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 the cabinet leaders, I mean, they're the worst. This is the worst cabinet I've ever seen put together. I mean, they, they follow orders, but there's, there's no creativity. They don't do their job. Uh, and, and the woke left agenda, which is what is being you know, put out by the by the White House, is they, they mark and step to. Uh, and, you know, what they're trying to do is basically change our structure, whether it's uh, to you know, you know censor and, and to destroy our, our the freedom of assembly and speech for anybody who disagrees with them, uh, to uh, to whether to trying to create a structure that corporate America will have to change its whole whole focus from the shareholder into existing for equity, which of course will totally undermine the capitalist system that we have. They are doing everything they can to build up the fortifications for that, which is very dangerous. And yeah, you know, we can't. And these are the kind of things that they can do quietly in the in the in the shadows. And by the time we realize it, all of a sudden it's going to be too late. I mean, and the point I turn out that is these district attorneys that Soros and the left have, have elected these school boards that uh, the, that have been elected who are pushing critical race theory and and, and, and tech, teaching a, a curricula that parents don't agree with. We've got to take that back. Uh, Joe Biden's speech as president in Philadelphia a month ago basically divided the country in, in half. And he said, if you're not with me, you're a fascist and we're going to come and get you. That, that we're at a really dangerous time right now. I mean, I know a lot of people like to believe that, oh, well, there's all this election cheating and all this other thing going on. Well, well the truth is this this cheating in some way or another has been going on in this country for, you know, for a couple hundred years. Um, now, it's more sophisticated these days. I have a growing concern that there are so many people that, that are claiming to be experts in all of this and, um, 
And I, if I could just get your opinion on where do you where do you think some of this lands in this early in the 2024 cycle and and how important is this? What what the election? I think we're 25 days away, 24 days away from the election this year. Uh, but you know, folks don't realize that you know we're 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 just a, a handful of days away from the 2024 election. And how important do you think do you think this coming cycle is for America? It's very important. And, and frankly, some of the work that you did exposing some of the abuses in the 2020 election, you know, are exactly the kind of issues that we have to worry about. Um, this this November 8th election is a critical foundation for 2024. Um, I do believe the American people understand now that they were sold a, a bill of goods that uh, was not what they thought. I do think they believe that uh, who is president matters, and they see the difference between Trump's successes and, and Biden's failures on those same very issues of border security, economic security, personal security. Um, and I think that's going to result in a major uh, victory for Republicans this fall. But we have to be vigilant. I mean, ballot harvesting is still a risk. Um, voter ID I mean, that, I think some of that's been curbed from the 2020 elections and some of the work that you've done, but we still have to pay attention to it. We have to be vigilant and we have to win. I do believe we will win because of the way things have, have, have sort of developed over the course of the last year. Winning, however, is not enough. We then have to do something with the victory. One of which is we have to do is weed out the corruption that exists in our judicial and law enforcement system. Um, now, they can't do it all without the presidency, but they can build the framework for the, a, a new coming, an incoming president in 2024. Uh, I happen to believe that, uh, uh, that Donald Trump is going to run again. Uh, and I think that uh, as re if Republicans win the Congress uh, in 2024, or two rather, that uh, the type of Republicans who are going to be sitting in Congress are people who are committed to an agenda that Trump used running the White House. Uh, it won't be a rhino Republican uh, majority. Uh, and so I believe we will start to see a connection between what people said in the campaigns and what Washington is going to do in the Congress. Uh, and that will set the foundation for the 24 elections. Uh, I think we have to work with the secretaries of state and all the target states uh, between 22 and 24 to uh, to make sure the election laws are are safe, secure, uh, and not prone to the excesses that existed, certainly in 2020. Um, we know where the corruption is. We know where the anomalies were in 2020. And that's our target zone. That's where we have to be extra vigilant. Um, and we cannot just be an election day movement. We have to be 24-7 uh, every every week uh, movement. And uh, if we do that, we can take back the country because the American people don't agree with the woke agenda of the Biden administration, but they've been lax in protecting their, their own freedoms. And those who are motivated have, have used that lax, laxity to, uh, to take hold of this current administration. And we can't let that go on. Back in the day, uh, when I first got into the oppo business, um, you know, we spent a lot of time in the, the basements of courthouses and, and uh, newspapers looking at microfish and really trying to drag things up. Of course, things are a lot different now. Um, 
and 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 that's also true of course for for the you know the political consulting world and and how campaigns are actually run i mean you guys um you and and charlie and roger and and lee and and all the other all the other folks that were on your team back in the day you know there were there were there were many 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 uh young people that grew up in the early 80s uh in the in that reagan revolution that 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 really learned our craft from from y'all and uh, I personally am an ex- extraordinarily grateful to to you and your team, um, and really, y- y'all shaped a lot of a lot of careers, including mine. Um, one of the one of the along that line, one of the things I think that really startles me and is is actually a little frightening is is how and I know politics has changed, social media certainly changed it, and, and you know just the media structure in general has changed things, but. I'm, I have a growing concern that there are all of a sudden these experts that have emerged from from really nowhere, you know, after 2020, and they've been in this thing for you know a couple of years, and and they're giving advice, and people are listening. And um, you know, back in the day, I would have I would have you know considered it malpractice had I had I um, you know espoused some of the things that people are saying about you know they just don't fully either grasp or, or, or care to understand the, the depth of the complexity in politics around the country. It's not just, you know, you do in Florida, the same thing you do in Arizona and the same thing you do in Michigan and Wisconsin. It doesn't work that way. And there's no, there's no real way to, to sort of root this out. But, but I, I have this growing fear that first it started with people saying, Oh, it doesn't matter if you don't fix 2020, you don't vote. It doesn't matter. Um, and then people are saying, well, only vote on election day. Well, I mean, as you get further and further into this, um, you know, there, there are, there are, are certain strategies that one would deploy into any kind of a get out the vote, uh, effort or any, any type of turnout effort, um, that might work in Florida where they do, you know, they report every day who sent in their mail-in ballots. Um, and, and therefore you could target and, you know, do work, you get out the vote magic. Um, alternatively, in places like Mississippi and Alabama, you know, you don't have that kind of early voting. So really the strategies are are, are vastly different across the country. How, well, how do you, how do you, what, what would you say to, to, to all these folks that are really looking for, you know, the voice of experience to, to share with them and what would you be doing right now with 25 well, days that, left? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a very astute point you raised, Greg. And the reality is that the, uh, that, that the complexity of the elections is our advantage uh, if we if we use it properly. The Democrats want to federalize the elections. Uh, the, the Pelosi Congress, the first bill for, uh, that they had when they took power last uh, two years ago was H.R. 1, and it was to federalize the elections. It was to give them control and, and smooth the election laws out everywhere. In the process of what they'd be doing is reducing ID requirements. They'd be uh, uh, you know, facilitating ballot harvesting, number of other. The uh, it's even more incumbent upon us to have an election day operation going, really from the spr- from the summer right to uh, the election day itself. That's a different skill set than we're used to. We, we used to mobilize on election day, have lawyer teams in place, uh, and then if somebody was doing something at, at the ballot uh, place. Uh, contest the balloting. It's a different world now. The, the, you've got cyber technology that can uh, can interfere. 
You've got ballast harvesting with with, with uh, different uh, levels of voter ID that could be a problem. COVID complicated things in 2020, um, and things got easier for corruption to happen. Uh, some a lot of states have tightened the election laws. Uh, as a result of the excesses shown in the 2020 elections uh, with the relaxation of the rules for COVID. Uh, but we still need to be vigilant on it. And I think it'll be a tighter election in 2022 than in 2020. There's still going to be excesses. Again, we know where the anomalies are. We need to pay, pay extra attention. The, the drop box, the ballot harvesting time, not after the election. I mean, these are the kinds of things that, uh, that require full attention and deployment of experienced election uh, monitors, if you will, we've got uh, uh, we we established a, a a full on fusion center to pull in all of the data so that we can make it accessible. You know, one of the great challenges that everybody has that few understand. Once that election's certified in a state, it's basically done. I mean, you, you you know you can fight a few of those things out, but the only the only I think the only real meaning the only real meaningful change is that that um, uh, that have ever been made uh, in the elections were when one was able to stop the certification. There are a few isolated instances, but to do that, you've got to be able to feed these attorneys with, with quality, solid information uh, right. that you've gathered over time. And, and so we're, we're working on those kind of things. So uh, a couple quick things before we go. So do you have a prediction on the, the, the house, the Senate? Yeah, I actually think we're going to win the Republicans are win both houses. Um, I think, you know, this House side is going to be upward of 40 seats. There wow. could be even a few more. I mean, we're going to elect a congressman in Rhode Island. Wow. I mean, Rhode Island. <laughs> uh, I, I think that the Senate, uh, we're going to control, we're going to win the Senate. Uh, it could be anywhere from uh, 52 to 54 seats. I mean, the, the Hispanic vote is being underrepresented for Republicans. Uh, I think you're going to see in Nevada and Arizona a very heavy movement of Hispanics to uh, to Laxalt and Masters, uh, I think both of them can will win. Um, I also think we're going to protect our, all of our, our incumbent senators. You know, in, in, the, in Pennsylvania being the closest one, but uh, Oz is now who does not represent their values. And two, he's a he's a sick person. I'm, I'm sorry he is, but he is. He's not going to be up for the job. Yeah, I saw and that I, interview he did the other day. That was one of the most creepy things I've ever seen, where he was having to look at the teleprompter to, to see the, the question. It was frightening. But even if somehow he didn't do that, uh, I think that winning Nevada, winning Arizona, I think I think Herschel Walker is going to win no matter how much they try to smear him. He's going to win that campaign down there. Um, and uh, and we've got a good chance of picking up uh, possibly New Hampshire uh, as, as well. So I think anywhere from 52 to 54 seats in the Senate. But here's something, Greg, that I think is also important. We have focused this cycle on – other low, down ballot races, secretaries of state, because they're important in, in voter voter fraud. Um, and so it's going to be a good year and it's going to put the Biden White House on its heels and the Democrats are going to come after him. I think if Trump announces that he's going to run for president, which I believe he will, I think Biden's going to be firm in his conviction that he's going to run for reelection. Uh, and I think he'll get challenged. Uh, but I think, uh, like in 76, when everyone thought, or 78, actually, when everybody thought Edward Kennedy was going to defeat Jimmy Carter, uh, and, and all the polls showed that, but when the primary started, Carter used the presidency to, to win the nomination, but then lose to Reagan. 
I think you'll have a very similar situation this time. I expect several people to challenge Biden. I expect Biden to be the nominee. And if we're, if Trump runs, I expect Trump will beat Biden. Paul, what's next for you? What's next for your family uh, after everything you've been through and what the government did to you and, and weaponizing against you? I know that, uh, you know, so many of the things that you spent a lifetime building were, were diminished and destroyed. Um, what's, what's next for you and your family? Well, you know, I look to the future, Greg. I mean, I, I've put the past behind me. I mean, that's how I got through the crisis by living in the present, not being angry or bitter, focusing on what I needed to do. You know, after my after my book was finished, uh, uh, you know, I started focusing on the, the present, but they put everything in the past behind me. And now I'm working on uh, on a couple of some campaigns, some private consulting. Uh, 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 to to try and rebuild some of my wealth so I could uh, support my family because they wiped me, wiped me out. I was living on Social Security last year. I'm doing better this year, and hopefully we'll do better next year. But I, I don't look at the past I, other than to learn from it and to try and protect you know the the ballot boxes and and what I believe in for our country. Uh, and, and so in that respect, I'm applying the lessons of the past, but I'm not focusing on the past. Well, I want to get you involved in our fusion center. So maybe we can find a way to uh, make a business deal together and, and have a little bit of fun going into uh, 2023 and 2024. I think that, um, you know, having an opportunity to work with somebody that uh, really shaped a lot of what, what uh, ended up being my career, um, I'd be, um, you know, I'd be honored to to have you involved. So let's try to figure out a way to make that happen. And Paul, well, you're, you're doing important work, Greg, and, uh, and it's really important work. You need to keep it up and I'd love to be involved. Well, thank you so much. And uh, Paul, we look forward to maybe uh, as we approach the election, maybe getting you back on again for a shorter segment on how you think things are going. And if there's any anything at all that you think that we could be doing or should be doing better. Um, please reach out to me and thank you so much for joining Patriot Games, Paul Manafort. Thank you, Greg. Love to do it again. So grateful to Paul for joining us today on Patriot Games. The story of the weaponization of government against Americans and against uh, those willing to speak out, you know, they completely made up all of the stuff that they did. And as more and more and more comes out of the Durham investigations, the more you're seeing that people like Paul uh, people like Carter Page were absolutely destroyed by the United States government and the FBI in particular. So, so grateful to have him on the show today and uh, look forward to seeing y'all next week on Patriot Games. Patriot Games. PatriotGames.com. Now, back to your host, Greg Phillips. When we started Patriot Games, we had absolutely no idea how we were going to be able to put this together. And uh, uh, Taylor, our executive producer, and and all of us just uh, kind of jumped in and started putting together equipment and started putting together the the pieces that ultimately became this. Um, I'm so grateful for the the people that have signed up to support us on Patreon um, and. It's, it's really sort of gratifying and humbling a little bit uh, when we first started this and then launched that first episode of the prelude. Um, we didn't even really know what to think. Uh, we just kind of stuck it up there. We stuck a camera up there. I don't even think we had all our lights lit. The, you know, we had all manner of stuff going wrong. Um, 
But uh, for those of you that have chosen to uh, support us through Patreon, I can't thank you enough. Um, we're going to get you some interesting information. We're going to give you a list of uh, of some of the episodes that are upcoming and let you have an early look at that. And uh, we'll continue to provide you with new and interesting information. Appreciate y'all so much. Please, uh, if you're so inclined, uh, support us on Patreon. It'll help us uh, continue to make this program better for everybody. We at Patriot Games are super excited about a new sponsor. Um, when we first got into 2000 Mules and bought all of that geo data and really began to dig into it, the one thing we recognized, of course, was that there's a lot of citizens out there that aren't doing anything wrong, but people are still tracking them. Um, and these cell phones and the trackers that are in these apps, um, in spite of what the the media seems to have you believe that it can't be done and it's just wrong and you can't tell which side of the street people are on. All of that is false. Um, there are very few technologies out there that can actually protect you. Um, we at Patriot Games have partnered with a company called Stratus X. Stratus is developing a technology that is going to allow you to sign into a hotspot to ensure that your ad keys, that your IMEIs, that your maids are not trackable by the bad guys, uh, by the tech, big tech companies. And um, we look forward to uh, this this um, partnership with uh, Stratus X. We're going to get the guys from Stratus X on the show and talk a little bit about how can you protect yourself uh, and your family and your coworkers um, using the tools that Stratus X is developing. So thank you again to the, to the great folks at Stratus X and we look forward to the next big steps in trying to protect our listeners and everybody else. I can't thank my friends at Warpath coffee enough. My friend Tage Gill started Warpath coffee after being a Navy seal and he sent it to me and declared at that point that this was the best coffee that he had ever tasted. And I a hundred percent agree Warpath Coffee is the best coffee on the market today. The difference is how they do their roasting. So many of these roasters, especially for the big chains like the Starbucks and all these people, they burn the beans. And so in burning the beans, you have to have extra things put in it so that they can make their lattes and all the different things that they need. So you need milk and you need all these things to even it out because the the beans were burned. Tage and his roasters figured out a way to roast the beans without burning the beans. And in that creation of that caramelization, it really softens the drink so that you can drink Warpath coffee black. Um, I drink it black. It's keto friendly. Um, and you don't have to add all the sugars and you know, all the nonsense that, that folks put into coffee these days. But Warpath coffee is the best coffee that I've ever had. Please go to warpath.coffee, order from Tage today, and uh, I promise you won't regret it. You've been listening to Patriot Games. Privacy is a thing of the past. No matter where you are, you're being watched. No one is off the grid. The intelligence community has access to technology that most Americans can't even imagine. And this show is here to expose all of it. For more info, to contact, and to stay up to date, 
visit the website at patriotgames.com. Until next time, keep your eyes open.